So here we are in chapter 10 of the study of Hebrews, and the author at the end of the chapter is leading us and preparing us for his discussion on faith, the main topic of chapter 11. And at the end of chapter 10, he prepares us by telling us a couple things about faith. So if we pick up in verse 32, it says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in the greatest contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are of those who believe and are saved. So, the lead into the discussion on faith is all about persevering in that faith. Telling us that faith can actually be destroyed. It can be diminished. Let's look at faith today. We discussed uh, aspects of it a few weeks ago. We spoke of the reality and the illusion. Faith is confidence in reality and not the illusion. This age in which we live. What we see is not really reality. It's not, it's substances in the state of decay. Faith is confidence in what is unseen and will never decay. Amen? Amen. So, there's much more to faith, though. You know, get a laugh out of theologians and pseudo-theologians, they never cease to amaze me that they can take a very simple book like the Bible that's inspired by God, so simple that men, all men should be able to read it and understand it, and then theologians come along and try to make it something that you can't understand. As an example, faith, a simple concept. We started looking at it a few weeks ago. We have books written about it. People have developed new words so that we can understand it better. I recently heard one, faithing. <laughs> they try to understand it from pagan and mystical ideas. They look into rabbinic interpretations for a greater understanding of faith. And when all is said and done, if we listen to them, we end up scratching our head wondering, what is faith? But if we just look to the Bible... And see what it has to say about faith. We ought to find out something. It's really simple. Amen. It has to be. Because faith is something that is important to God. We're told that without it, it is impossible to please God. And so God desires to make faith something that we can all understand. And I want to look at faith. The simplest definition that you can find of faith occurs in the book of Hebrews, right in the next chapter, in verse 1. It says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain 
of what we do not see, this is what the ancients were commended for. You see, faith is really simple. It's trusting or being sure, absolutely confident in what you do not see. God. And it's, faith is, should be to the degree that you'll discard everything else in life for that faith. In other words, nothing else is more important than what God has to say. In other words, you can't see God, but if you're sure that he's the creator then you have faith in some measure. Our new life, our rebirth, begins with something we can't see. A belief that Messiah came into the world and through his death paid the price for our transgressions of Torah and was resurrected from the dead. And because of that, he offers to those who believe that he was resurrected and that he's now king over the earth, he offers resurrection as well. And that's something, that is the beginning of faith. Believe that God was, is, and is to come. That's the beginning of faith. That's the start of faith. But faith, we are told in Scripture, has many different levels. It begins with faith that God is. He loves you. He cares about you. And then because of that faith, you begin to study. And you begin to learn more about God. Some of the things you learn is that he has a kingdom. Look at yourselves. He has a kingdom. And that kingdom is really nothing like anything that you're going to see in this age. It does not resemble the kingdoms of this earth. But his kingdom, like the Father, is unseen except in his people. You learn that your faith in Messiah has actually made you part of this kingdom. And with all the benefits that go along with being a member, so long as you remain in that faith. You know, I doubt that anyone, when they first accept Yeshua, realizes that they are becoming part of a kingdom. And so your faith begins to grow. It grows. Faith has levels. One person has a level of faith that is either greater or smaller than someone else's. We find examples of this in Scripture. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30 says... If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen to that. Yeshua tells us that little faith is visible in someone worrying about life and pursuing the things of this life. Worrying about life is contrary to faith because one of the things you study or you learn as you study the Bible is that God not only created the earth through Yeshua and so it stands that if you're part of his kingdom you can rest in the fact that he is king over the kingdom you're part of and watches over his own. 
You know, we have a sorry idea of government in this days, day and age, because we have a sorry government. But you have to understand that government, or in our case, a king's greatest responsibility is to care for his people. And the king of our kingdom loves and cares for us. And he does it not only on a broad level, but on a level. And we can see an example of great faith in another saying of Yeshua. He says this in Matthew chapter 8, verse 7. Yeshua said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed, for I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. Tell this one, go and he goes. Tell that one, come and he comes. I say to this servant, do this, and he does it. When Yeshua heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at a feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And so we learn here that great faith and trust in God Confidence, that, confidence in that God is uh, ruler of his kingdom and is supreme and he does interact with the world and at times we can see the kingdom of God and God interacting with this age. You know what happens when the kingdom of heaven goes from unseen to seen? We perceive it as a miracle. A miracle happened. Guess what? A miracle didn't happen. That's just life in the kingdom. So we can say that great faith is being sure of what is unseen to the exclusion of what is seen. And we spoke about this before. Everything that you see is corruptible. It's passing away. It's without lasting substance. And what is unseen is immortal and corruptible. If you don't believe me, go buy a car and drive it for about 10 years. You'll watch it disappear before your eyes. Right? So, like I say, in this instance, there's no illness in God's kingdom. And God's kingdom became manifest in the life of the centurion's servant. He was healed. And we perceive that as a miracle, but in fact, it's just the reality of the kingdom being made manifest in the life of the centurion's servant. In the illusion that is, a, that is this world. And so faith has levels. Great faith elicits a response from God. Something else about faith. It's visible in the life of people. We can see faith in action in the lives of people. If we believe that God is and his kingdom is, then it should elicit a response from us. Because another thing that we learn as we study is that Yeshua is going to return and he's going to reward everyone according to their deeds. And some are going to deserve death and then someone are going to, some deserve something a little better than that. In fact, a lot better than that. And so when we understand that, we, because of faith in God, want to learn and understand what's pleasing to him. So we can attain a more pleasant reward, right? And so we study his word, his commands, and we do them 
because we know that God is a rewarder of those who seek him and do his will. Yeshua condenses those 613 commands that we would find in the Torah into two for us. He says this in Matthew chapter 22. He says, hearing that Yeshua had silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees, got together, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with a question, teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? And Yeshua replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so faith in action is loving God and loving your neighbor, simply stated. And I should add that these two are not to the exclusion of the other commands, but it's a summation of the other commands. The other commands teach you how to do these two, right? But loving your neighbor and loving your God is going to lead you to do something. It's going to lead you to do good deeds. You see, the manifestation of faith in the life of an individual is his performance of good deeds. It's how the world knows that you, in fact, have faith. James says this in James chapter 2, verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, and does nothing about his physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God. Good, even demons believe that, and shudder. You see, if you have faith in God and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him and the rewarder of those who do not, then you'll respond in life accordingly if you really believe. And when you understand that everyone is going to stand before the judgment seat of Messiah, it will lead you to do good things. It will lead you to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you are of great faith, you'll do Good deeds to the exclusion of what you see in the world. The world says, save your money because the economy is going to collapse and you're going to need every dime. Better go out and buy some gold and some silver and then bury it someplace so that when the economy dies, you'll have something. Faith says God takes care of his people even as he takes care of the lilies of the field and if I share with my neighbor to relieve his pain, you can believe that God is going to take care of me and I don't need to worry about money. You see, faith is visible only through action. As we saw above, the centurion's faith was visible through his actions, through his words. And we can find another place, find this other place. That's why James says, show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. Because faith without deeds is dead. You, can show your, you, you cannot show your faith without deeds. True belief and confidence in the unseen has to elicit action. And Yeshua told us faith is visible. 
He says in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, he says, Yeshua stepped into a boat and crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Yeshua saw their great faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, your son, your sins are forgiven. You see, Yeshua saw their faith, and it wasn't something mysterious. Their faith was shown in their actions. They came to Yeshua for healing. So that's faith as it's presented in the Bible. It's, it is a, a confidence in what is unseen to the exclusion of what is seen, to the exclusion of what everybody else tells you is real. Amen? What is seen is less substantial, and it is actually passing away. It will be rolled up like a garment, we're told in the prophets, and replaced by what is unseen. Because what is unseen is substantial, and it will never pass away. So, if faith is being sure of and believing in what is unseen, then the opposite of faith is not being sure of what is unseen and putting all of your confidence in what is seen. And by that I mean the world, money, power, other men. There's an aspect, there's another aspect to faith that we should understand. It can ebb and flow in one's life. It can become greater and lesser in one's life. There are things that can actually diminish your faith. And things that can actually build your faith. That's why the writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 10 verse 23. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Amen. You know, when he says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward good love and good deeds, what is he actually saying? He's actually saying love and good deeds are the manifestation of faith, so we might as well be saying, let us consider how we may build one another's faith, right? Let us encourage one another. He's saying that, by gathering together, we can actually build each other's faith. And I find that amazing. We can have an effect on others' faith level. You see, just as the world out there is about tearing down your faith, people of God can build up your faith. The book of Hebrews said, without faith it's impossible to please God. And get this as it's important. You only have this life. This is it. You only have this life to develop a level of faith. To develop a great level of faith. Because faith, as we've been told, is confidence in what is unseen. And after you leave this life, what is unseen is no longer unseen. Right? So you only have this life to please God in this way. And it is pleasing God in this way that the book of Hebrews tells us the, the patriarchs, in fact, everybody in the book, was commended for. One shot at pleasing God in this way. This life, that's it. In other words, you may get to the kingdom of heaven, but God will be more pleased 
with those who get there with a greater faith level, right? You know, the greatest example of this is Thomas in the Bible. You know, he had a chance to please God by believing that Yeshua had risen from the dead. But what did he say? I will not believe until I have touched him, until I have seen the scars. And he didn't. He'll never have that chance again. If faith pleases God, he missed the boat in pleasing God in this instant. That doesn't mean he isn't in heaven. It just means he missed the boat on this one area of pleasing God. And so this is it. We have this life to please God in this way, and that's it. But we have an amazing opportunity to build that which pleases God in each other's lives by together and encouraging one another. And how do we do that? Well, first, let's look at how faith is diminished. You see, faith is diminished this way. We live in a world that we spoke of a few weeks ago, a world that everything in it seems so real because we see it. We rely on what we see. If we see it, hey, it's real, right? We work in this world. We see it, we hear it, we touch it. It hears us, it touches us, it becomes real and substantial to us, but it's not really substantial at all. It seems real, but sadly, it's all passing away. Everything that we do in this age, with the exception of those things that we do that bring glory to God, is passing away. So, 24-7, we are bombarded by what is passing away, what is not permanent, what is in a state of decay, and we have to interact with it, exist within it. This is the age. This age has a powerful effect on us, and its powerful effect is to continually tear at our faith 24-7. And so how do we develop faith? Now, this is the hard part. You know, this is... This is really difficult, folks. And I wish I were a great theologian so that I could convey this deep mystery to you. The world is tearing at our faith. So to improve our faith, we need to clothe ourselves with things that are not of this world. We need to draw close to what is unseen, close to God. And how do we do that? And I mean, this is really simple, too. It took me eight, ten years of uh, seminary to figure this one out. Right? No, because God makes it simple. He loves his children. When we take the time in the morning to seek God in prayer, when we take the time in the morning to study his word before our day begins, our faith is increased so that we can go out and have a good day. Right? And when I say prayer... Believe me, I'm not talking about opening up and reading from a prayer book. Reading the Amidah. And those prayers are helpful. And I'm a firm believer in the temple prayers and seeing the temple prayers. But I'm talking about morning and reciting those prayers. Uh, not reciting those prayers, but, but getting up in the morning and seeking God in your prayer closet. Getting up in the morning and going into your prayer closet. Getting away from everything else. 
Don't answer the phone. Don't even take it in there with you. And listening for his voice over the clamor of this age. Just taking the time to talk to God. And more important, listening to him. Will make your day productive for the kingdom. Hearing from him builds faith. The surest way you can have true confidence in what is unseen is to interact with what is unseen. The quickest way and best way to do that is to set out to have a relationship with him is unseen. You can't see him, but if he moves in your prayer closet, if he touches you, if he speaks with you, that's faith building, right? He who is unseen is no longer abstract then, but he is real. He's no longer, he may not be visible, but he's just interacted with him. Amen? You know, we have a new covenant with a new mediator. A mediator that will not leave us, but it actually abides with us and within us. And we in him. And it gives us a precious gift. The gift that is that we can now hear from God. Hearing from God is not just for the few. It's not just for the high priest, but it's for the whole covenant community. And all you have to do is say, yes, Lord, I want to hear your voice. And then take the time necessary to build a relationship with him, to hear his voice. Yeshua will begin to speak to your heart. And you'll hear the word of the Lord. Hearing the word of the Lord is not something for prophets alone. It's something for every mother's son who's part of his kingdom and daughter. You may or may not hear the words that will be prophetic, but I guarantee if you do, you go into your prayer closet and you seek him and you hear him, it will sure help you get through that day of your life. It will aid you in understanding him who is unseen. It will aid you in understanding how to live a life pleasing to him. Another way we build faith is when we gather together and listen to how God is interacting with others. All day long, like I said, we're bombarded by this world. All day long, we're told that this is real. You know, that uh, this happened six billion years ago. And other people say, oh, you better watch out because in 2017, this is going to happen or that's going to happen. And that's just an easy example. You know, I don't know how many catastrophes have come along since I've been in ministry. And everyone I said, oh, and everywhere I'm, somebody come back and says, well, you were right, didn't happen. <laughs> but we have all of these things thrown at us. But if we have a relationship with God, we don't got to worry about those things. Amen. Amen? We're told things like, we're sick. We're told things like, we're going to die for this or that, from this or that. We're told the economy's going south. We need to save our money because times are going to be hard. We have other religions thrown at us. Insults to the living God thrown at us. We have all these real things wiped out from our lives. Things like prayer in school. Removing Yeshua from the school. Removing the Ten Commandments from public places. We're under this constant barrage of corruption and decay. And we're told that, hey, this is real. We're doing this because this is only right and real. And in many cases, it looks like they're winning, doesn't it? Well, they're not winning. They're not the winners in the end. You know why? I read the end of the book. 
when we come together, it's like stepping out of the barrage for a moment, coming here and meeting with one another, a time to refocus on what is real, the one who is unseen, listening to others who have been speaking with him, seeking him who was and is and is to come. And when we gather, we should speak about the kingdom. That's what's real. And we should speak about it alone. You know, I really... Over the years, because we'll have people that go down to Oneg and talk about conspiracies and world events and, and their problems. And they're fo so focused on what is unreal that they can't spend one day apart from it. They're so focused on what man can do to them, they don't realize that man can do nothing to them. In the kingdom, there's no death or illness. You know, Bob Dylan used to say, he sing a song, he said, that said, he who's not busy born is busy dying. Well, I'm not busy dying, I'm busy being reborn. I already died. Growing to a maturity in Messiah, there is no death in Messiah. I'm not... Busy dying, I'm busy becoming one with the eternal. Amen? And as we gather, we need to realize that the kingdom of heaven is always looking to manifest itself in its age. We need to expect it to manifest itself in this age. We need to anticipate it. We need to speak of things as they are. Pray for things as they are. Expect things to happen as they are. And if we don't always see things happen, that's not the end. That's not a reason to doubt. It's God's wisdom at work. You know, we're the planter of seeds. And I'm going to tell you something. Johnny Appleseed, the legend of Johnny Appleseed, he planted a lot of apple seeds. I don't doubt, doubt if you ever saw a tree. He never saw one go up. And I know that through my ministry, I planted a lot of seeds, and I'm never going to see them blossom. But I know they're out there blossoming. Amen? If I pray for healing for someone, and I don't see it right now, I don't worry about that, because I have confidence in what is unseen. If I pray for someone, and they don't recover, and they pass on, hey, I know they're recovered now. Amen? The point is this. We need to speak, think, pray, expect, walk, and talk the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And if someone comes in our midst beaten down by this age, we need to build them back up. Isaiah says this, On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers the nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trust in him. He saved us. This is the Lord. We trust in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. You see, what we see in this life is the very shroud that Isaiah is talking about. It has no real substance. And when we gather together, this is our opportunity, if our faith is strong enough, to remove the shroud from others' eyes. For a brief moment, maybe, but for a moment. 
If those who come among us are sick, we need to have a word of encouragement for them. Listen to what Isaiah says in 53. He says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God and smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that has brought us peace was upon him. You see, we need to be able to contend with those who would destroy faith by saying things like, God doesn't prophesy any longer. God doesn't heal any longer. That was just for Yeshua's day. God does not do this. Folks, that's not true. Put the blame for God not doing things that you say God's not doing things on who it belongs, yourself and your faith level. It isn't a matter of what God is doing. It's a matter of what is and faith and confidence in what is unseen. And if you have that, what is unseen will make itself visible because God will respond. The trouble is we're so busy promoting what is seen and discounting what is unseen that the world is filled, you know, the world is filled with churches that are filled with unbelief. Go to church, go to synagogue, and go, to, and go learn unbelief. You hear it spoken of each week. People gather together and speak of the terrors of this life. Speak of Obama. Obama this or Obama that. Or... You see, Obama can do nothing that God doesn't allow. And he can do nothing to me. And so it's not worth speaking about. I need to speak about and fill myself with him who is able to truly affect my life and affect it eternally. We, you know, this is the interesting thing. You know, point of salvation are filled with this great confidence in God, this absolute trust in God. He just did something for us that's hard to believe. And what he's done is everything is new. And then we go to church and we start to learn unbelief. It's true. So let's begin today, in, at least in this community, to speak only of what is and not of what is seen, but what is unseen. And if what is unseen becomes what is seen, then let's shout it out and let's praise God for what he's doing in the world. Amen?